Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Today's Bible reading passage is from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 19. You can find it on pages 14 to 15 on your red Bibles underneath the seats or on the screen behind me. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. Uh, welcome if you're watching us on the live stream. Great to have you with us as well. Uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer as we come to think about this uh, passage from Genesis chapter 22. Father in heaven, uh, we uh, want to thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that your word uh, by your spirit brings life. And we pray that uh, as we hear your word, we would trust 
and we would obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now the... Uh, <clears throat> <clears throat> a bit of a false start here. I uh, uh, wanted to uh, show you a, uh, <clears throat> a slide. Welcome if you're new or visiting us today. If it's your first time with us, it's uh, great to have you with us. And uh, I think we're ready to go and talking about the Sydney Harbour Bridge, which is uh, uh, truly a magnificent bridge, is it not? It's a wonderful bridge. It's such a handsome structure to adorn such a um, incredible, splendid location. But it's uh, not just its beauty that makes it magnificent. Uh, it's, it's what it does. It's how strong and how reliable this bridge is. Apparently, on average, it carries about 200,000 vehicles on it every day. And uh, I've got to ask you this question, when you've been in a car or you've driven across the Harbour Bridge, have you, have you ever felt anxious about it? Have you ever kind of thought to yourself, oh my goodness, I'm not sure that I'm going to make it to the other side? Um, have you ever worried that uh, somehow or another that it's, it's just going to collapse under the weight of all of the vehicles? I don't think so. I mean, if you have been worried about that, I'm happy to chat with you about that later. <laughs> But uh, you probably haven't because it's, it's been doing its job very well uh, for a long time, uh, ever since it was opened in 1932. But um, before it was opened, um, there may have been some nerves about it, some anxieties. Like, for example, would the two arches actually meet in the middle? Had they done their geometry correctly? <laughs> Uh, that was a bit of a nervous thing, and thankfully they did. Or the other question, the big one was, was it strong enough? Uh, was it uh, the engineering good enough? Uh, was it capable of carrying the load? And so before they opened the bridge, they had to test that, didn't they? They had to stress test that, and not with cars, uh, not with what they would expect to be a normal uh, day of traffic on the bridge, but to stress test it with a load of locomotives, steam trains, 96 steam trains. They loaded onto the Harbour Bridge uh, from one end to the other on all four railway tracks, 96 steam trains, and they did the testing of it over a three-week period, and guess what? The bridge proved its strength. Now, sometimes our faith can be tested, can't it? Our faith can even be stress-tested. It's tested uh, in the normal um, circumstances of life, in our daily struggles against the world, the flesh and the devil. Our, our faith is being tested all of the time. But sometimes it's stress-tested. Uh, when in some circumstances there, there is enormous pressure placed on us uh, to break, uh, to, to disobey God, and pressure which can sometimes uh, seem to be pushing us to our very limit. And I know Christian friends whose faith has been uh, stress-tested uh, in the most awful 
most challenging, most terrible and difficult circumstances and have stood firm in their obedience to God. But it's hard to think of anyone whose faith has been uh, stress-tested more profoundly than Abraham. Uh, Profoundly because uh, it was not worldly circumstances which tested his faith, but something which God told him to do. Uh, We're in Genesis chapter 22, if you care to have that open in front of you, in verse 1, God, we are told, tested Abraham. He tested Abraham and he said to him in verse 2, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Your son, your only son, whom you love. Every word would have dripped with pain. Do you feel, do you feel the gravity of that? Uh, can you imagine the turmoil in Abraham's mind and in his heart? I mean, if anyone today claimed that God had told them that, then we would know that that person was unwell. But but not Abraham. Abraham knew God. Abraham had heard God. God had spoken to him. He had met the angel of God before. He had seen God cut a covenant. He had even bargained with God before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he knew that this was God who was addressing him. So he had to make a decision, the kind of decision we'd hope to never have to make. And we, we are left to imagine his feelings, but in verse 3 we see that by early the next morning he had come to a decision and it was a decision to obey, a decision to obey. As he saddled the donkey, gathered some servants and Isaac, his son, and then cut the wood for the sacrifice. You know, it's about 70 kilometres from where uh, Abraham lived in Beersheba uh, to Mount Moriah, or the region of Moriah, which is, which is actually where Jerusalem is today. And it was a journey which would take about three days. Three days of uh, unthinkable inattention for Abraham. Inattention for, th- for two reasons. Uh, first of, of all, of course, his fatherly tension. Uh, because uh, loving fathers don't want to, ch- to sacrifice their children at any altar. At any altar. Loving fathers want to sacrifice themselves for their children. He was obeying God against every fibre of his fatherly being. And then there was the tension of his faith. For humanly speaking, what God commanded him to do would cancel out the promise that God had made to him. The promise not just that he would bear a son through Sarah, uh, that was a promise which, uh, uh, which was a 25-year wait, uh, a quarter of his life spent waiting for that promise to be fulfilled and was now finally fulfilled in the birth of Isaac who, like the tamarisk tree that he planted in the passage we saw last week has now grown up to, uh, to be a, a, a boy. 
25 years late. It was not just the promise that he would bear a son through, through Sarah, but also that through Isaac, through Isaac specifically, that Abraham would have many descendants, that he would have grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren, great-great-great, that, that a great nation would come to Abraham through his son Isaac. There is the promise, descendants through Isaac, and now the command, sacrifice Isaac. And still trust that through Isaac, Abraham would still have many descendants. See the problem? Promise and command, both God's word and seemingly contradictory. But Abraham resolved to trust God in both. In both. That, that is stress testing way beyond 97 locomotives being parked on the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And reading this, you and I know, we know already that this is a stress test, that this is just a test, because we're told that in verse 1. But Abraham doesn't know that. For him, this is real. This is absolutely real. And so how does he deal with this uh, apparent contradiction? Well, there are some clues in the passage itself. Um, as uh, he, had, uh, he had three days to, to think about it on his journey. Uh, and in verses 4 and 5, uh, we see that on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance, Mount Moriah. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Who will come back to them? We will come back to you. It's either a lie or it's a hope. Uh, or in verse 6, um, check it out from the second part of verse 6. As the two of them, Abraham and Isaac, went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the, the fire and the, the wood are here, Isaac said, but, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Oh, I've heard some children ask some heart-wrenching questions of their parents before, but not like this. Innocent, heartbreaking question. Verse 8, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. It's either a lie or it's a hope. Regardless, Abraham would obey. And then on top of Mount Moriah, Abraham gathers stones to build the altar and he heaps the wood on the altar for the fire. And then there is Isaac. Imagine the, the, the mix of, of trust and confusion as he allows himself to be bound and to be placed on top of the wood on the altar. For Abraham, this was not a mere test. For in verse 10, he reached out his hand and took the knife 
to slay his son. God allowed Abraham to go to the brink, to go right to the very brink. Now, sometimes in Christian circles, you may hear the phrase Jehovah Jireh. Ever heard that phrase? There's a song which we used to sometimes sing in church. Uh, It's Hebrew and it means the Lord will provide and it comes from this passage. It comes from this passage, from this chapter, where in verse 14, it's actually the the name that Abraham gave this spot. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Because as Abraham was about to draw blood in verse 11, see what happened? But the angel of the Lord called out to Abraham from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do nothing to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. You see, Abraham had fully intended to obey the command. But he also trusted the promise. How? Well, take a look at um, how the author of the book of Hebrews um, explains this in Hebrews 11. I'll just flash it up on the screen for you. In Hebrews 11, that great passage on the uh, men and women of faith, uh, the Old Testament, uh, we read, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. You know, uh, last week we saw, if you're with us, uh, that uh, Abraham, uh, through his fears and through his selfishness and his sin in uh, telling local leaders that Sarah was his uh, sister, not his wife, uh, and going through all of that, the ups and downs of his faith, that he, that, he, that he ended up landing in a good place, didn't he? He landed in a good place uh, with God, uh, worshipping God in Beersheba as the eternal God. The eternal God. He knew through his experiences, he knew through what God had put him through, he knew what he had seen with his own eyes, he knew the holy, powerful and eternal God. The God who rained down judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, he saw that with his own eyes, he had to see that with his own eyes to know who God is. The God who brought life from a womb which was as good as dead, And against every fatherly inclination and human reason, he was prepared to trust and obey God as he took his knife with full intent and the voice from heaven spoke and a ram in the thicket appeared. Isaac had been as good as dead, but now he was alive. It's just as uh, Abraham had told Isaac that God would provide the sacrifice. And as he told the servants, we will both come down from the mountain. Abraham's faith was tested and was found to be real. It was found to be true. It was found to be solid. It was found to be reliable. 
And that is just like God's promise, the promise that God has made. Uh, For the angel of the Lord was not done talking with Abraham as yet. Um, Earlier on in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12, in Genesis chapter 15, in Genesis chapter 17, uh, we saw that, uh, that God had made three big promises to Abraham. Now, If you've been with us uh, long enough here, you'll probably know what those three promises are. They're the promise of of people, a land, and and a blessing. A people, a land, and a blessing. Well, in verses 15 through to 18 here, God not only uh, repeats those promises, he actually swears an oath now to keep those promises. Now, when people like you and I, uh, or when anyone swears an oath, we swear an oath by, some, by something higher than ourselves, as if somehow that makes our word more reliable and more trustworthy. But when God swears an oath, he does so by himself, for there is no one higher, there is no higher authority that he can swear by than himself. And his reason for doing so, his reason for swearing an oath, is to underline the promise, to embolden the promise, to give in our human frailty uh, confidence that he utterly means what he's saying, as we should always trust that he does. Have a look in verse 16. He says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants, and note this, not, as, not just as numerous as the stars in the sky, but also as numerous as the sand on the seashore. This is the first time in Genesis that the sand has been mentioned. <laughs> you see, uh, uh, if you're an astronomy geek, you might uh, you know, have a go at trying to count all of the stars that you can see in the sky. Good luck with that. But I challenge you to go down the lighthouse beach and count every grain of sand. That is God's blessing. This is God's lavish blessing. <coughs> and, and regarding the land, the, the promise of the land, God's promise is now made even clearer. For the first time, he's, he stated that God, Abraham's descendants would take possession of the cities. And in verse 18, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham's offspring. But who is Abraham's offspring? Well, here it's Isaac, clearly, who in verse 2, God described to Abraham as being your son, your only son, whom you love. Now offer him up as a sacrificial lamb. Fast forward. Fast forward to another descendant, fast forward to another time when God also spoke from heaven, not with the words, your son, whom you love, but with the words, my son, whom I love. And the words of John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's hard for us to imagine, impossible for us to imagine the agony uh, that uh, which, which Abraham endured as he resolved to sacrifice his only son. How much harder is it 
for us to imagine the agony which God the Father endured. Because on the cross, it was no mere test. There was no last-minute substitute. It went ahead. Jesus did die as our sacrificial lamb to bear the punishment for our sins so that we can be forgiven and become the people of God and become the true descendants of Abraham. Descendants not by physical lineage but descendants by faith. If we have the faith of Abraham, which means trusting God's promise, Trusting God's promise about Jesus, that he died for our sins. And obeying God. Obeying Jesus as Lord. Now, is your faith ever tested? Well, it should be. It should be tested. Sometimes our faith can be severely stress tested. Especially when we are in very, very difficult circumstances. And the world tells us that it would be very reasonable that no one would question, no one would mind, that God would not even mind if under these difficult circumstances we choose to do what God we know does not want us to do. That's pressure. That's testing. That's stress testing. But mostly it's testing in the normal circumstances of life. Um, like in, for example, in the book of James, uh, where in chapter 2, James says that Abraham's faith was shown uh, to be the real deal by what he did. By what he did. And then James goes on to expose us, to expose our weaknesses, to expose the kind of temptations that we face the temptation to discriminate against people, Uh, the the temptation to use our tongues to tear down people, or the temptation to use our wealth as power over people, and a range of other practical areas of the Christian life where we are tested. And yet God does not test us so that we might fail but rather so that we might prove our love and demonstrate to the world the great love of God who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us. To prove our love, to prove our trust, to prove our faith so that others might see the difference and also put their trust in God. You know, um, the Sydney Harbour Bridge, when they built it, they built it very, very well. Uh, In 1932, it um, passed the stress test with uh, 96 locomotives. And they also built it to last. Not like these days, is it? They built the Sydney Harbour Bridge to last for 100 years. Which means that in a few years' time, it's going to be time for us to start doing some worrying. (laughs) But our faith is different. 
as we choose to trust and obey God, what happens to our relationship with God? We grow, don't we? We are not weakened, but we are strengthened more and more as we experience more of God's blessing and of his lavish love for us. So let's pray. Father, uh, we are moved by this uh, stress testing of Abraham's faith. We thank you for your work in his life, that he came to that point where he was prepared to trust and obey regardless. And we pray that for ourselves because of Jesus and the fact that you did not spare your only son but you gave him up for us so that we might now live for you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.